Hello and welcome to Herpological Discussions. This is Justin Julander and today we're talking reproductive biology and diets of monitor lizards. Alright, so the uh, title of the article that I selected today is Reproductive Biology and Diets of Goannas from Australia. This is an article by James Losos and Dennis King. Uh, Dennis King has, has written books on uh, monitor biology and uh, has published quite a bit on these, so he's uh, well-versed in monitors. Now, a lot of the articles I've been reviewing lately have been newer, more recent articles, and this one's kind of going back in time. We're going back to 1992, so um, I was a junior in high school at the time, uh, good good times, so uh, a little bit older than, than normal. Um, so th this is a... Uh, I guess the, this article was written kind of to address a, a question about the uh, homogeneity, uh, ecological homogeneity of monitor lizards. So many uh, in the literature have kind of suggested that uh, monitors have kind of a generalized diet. Uh, they're, they behave very similarly, even though they have an extensive, extensive ranges throughout the world. So um, this... I guess one kind of key question was uh, that was asked by Shine in 1986. Uh, he says, "Is this ecological homogeneity a real phenomenon, or simply an artifact of insufficient data?" So, in order to kind of answer this question, to to see if uh, there are real differences between different species of monitor lizard, uh, they took um, about nine species and looked at uh, preserved specimens and assessed uh, reproductive um, readiness or, or stage when the animal is collected and then they also look at diet and look at you know differences and, and similarities between these different species that they selected um, so you know an interesting question and uh, let's uh, see what they what kind of conclusions they came to uh, this also touches a bit on some of the uh, captive uh, husbandry that is involved with monitor lizards, and, and there's some you know proponents that suggest that monitors can be kind of kept the same and and fed the same diets, and and uh, you'll have uh, success regardless of the species. So to some extent, that's that's true, and that's been uh, shown. But uh, with others, it's it's a little. Uh, Maybe not so true, I guess. So uh, let's let's see what kind of things these these uh, scientists came up with in this article. Um, so they studied nine species in Australia in diverse habitat and uh, different climates to get a closer look at uh, differences and similarities in regard to reproduction, reproductive biology, and feeding. Um, there, the species included. Uh, Ver, let's see, where's the list here? Varanus uh, giganteus, the parenti, my favorite lizard, I would say. Uh, Varanus glebopalma, uh, semiremix, glauerti, gilinae, pilbarensis, stori, kingorum, and primordius. So, you know, the Latin names, if you're not familiar with those, uh, there's some different resources on the web. I really like the uh, page. Um, the uh, it's it's called AROD AROD uh, I can't remember what that stands for but it's the Australian Reptile Database basically so you can go and look up all those uh, species there but 
uh, very very interesting and diverse species. So these range in size from 110 millimeters uh, to about 800 millimeters. So they're you know, almost a tenfold difference in size here. So uh, small to very large. Um, there are some that hadn't had data gathered on them previous to this, um, including uh, uh, Glauerti, Kingorum, Primordius, and Semiramex, and um, and then some others from very limited data like Glebopalma and Pilbarensis. So, you know, some some new data reported at the time. Now, obviously, this is a little bit older, and there's lots lots more out there. Um, but this was kind of uh, groundbreaking work, I suppose. Um, so they took, um, let's see, uh, 386 preserved specimens from the uh, Western Australian Museum, and uh, as well, well, various museums, I guess. There's uh, four or five different museums, uh, and they took these uh, 386 um, preserved specimens, and that includes. Uh, 19 parentes, uh, 149 gilinae, 47 uh, glauertai, uh, 70 glebopalma, 7 kingorum, 10 pilbarensis, 12 primordius, uh, 24 semiramex, and 48 stori. So, you know, different numbers, and some had more information than others. So, uh, it's, you know, a little difficult to, to piece some of these uh, data together. But anyway, that's our sample sizes. Um, for the reproductive uh, side of things, they looked at sex, maturity, stage of reproductive cycle, level of gonad development, and clutch size if the uh, females had follicles or eggs in the oviduct. Um, for diet, they analyzed stomach contents, uh, tried to ID as close as possible to uh, the species or, or group um, for the food item, um, and then they estimated the number of prey items based on body parts, I suppose, and uh, the prey, they took a prey to predator mass ratio to give kind of an idea of, of how how much each prey type took up in the gut. So um, they also look at this and, and calculate an importance index, which is the sum of all the mass ratios of a single prey type, and then divide that by all the mass ratios for all prey uh, species that were found in the in the gut. So this importance index um, kind of gives you an idea of what uh, species are important in their diet. Now uh, I'll look at some of the results here. In, in Table 1, uh, they show a nice uh, table that includes the various species. A few of them didn't have enough data to be included on the table, but uh, they include uh, eight or so species out of the nine. So a pretty good data set. But there, there's a lot of data lacking, uh, and you know some individuals were not collected. It's different during different months, and so obviously there's no data if there's no lizard there. So, but this kind of gives a picture of a reproductive cycle um, that, that's fairly similar between the groups. If you look kind of overall at the table, the general trends: um, males tend to have enlarged testes, kind of um, in the late winter, early spring, and then uh, um, feet, or sorry, in the, in the winter time, so in the middle of winter, <laughs> which is June there, and uh, through, through about uh, uh, early spring or, or late spring. 
So from winter to spring, the, the males were kind of cycling and, and their testes were getting larger at that time or were larger than other times of the year. And then the females kind of kicked in around you know, September or so and uh, kind of followed suit. So uh, breeding likely takes place in the winter with a lot of these species, especially those from temperate areas. And then uh, egg laying uh, takes place more in the early spring or uh, around that time. So um, th there, there are differences in, in climate, kind of a general difference is some, a lot of the species come from temperate climates, so the deserts, um, those areas that are really hot in the, in the summer but fairly cool in the winter or at, at nighttime. Uh, and then the uh, tropical species, um, it's pretty much hot year-round for the most part, but they're limited there by water, so they have kind of a dry, wet season. Uh, dry season, wet season, dichotomy. So, um, so basically, they they follow a similar pattern of reproduction based either on when things start to warm up or when things get wet. <laughs> so the wet season starts. So that's uh, that's uh, useful information. Uh, another table shows the uh, sizes. So it estimates the snout event length at maturity for uh, several different species. I believe there's uh, seven species in this table. And then shows the upper extremes and the range of the uh, uh, sizes for mature males and females or adult males and females. And then uh, gives a clutch size for each of the species reported here. So useful information if, if you're uh, looking at you know breeding monitors in captivity or interested in natural history. You know, you see one out in the wild and can kind of get an idea of its size. Uh, is that a mature individual? This table is fairly helpful in that regard. Um, the clutch sizes uh, ranged from one to seven eggs in a clutch. And uh, it was interesting that the larger species, like in, in, that were included in the study that they had data for, including glower tie or the Kimberly rock monitors, uh, Semiramex, which is the rusty monitor, and Glebopalma, which is the black-palmed monitor, um, were the, the larger species. They were um, fairly small, small uh, in comparison to some of the smaller species. And so they, they determined here that the clutch size is not based solely on the snout to vent length. And uh, clutch sizes in smaller specimens were actually larger as compared with the larger specimens. So I thought that was interesting. You would, I guess, intuitively think that a larger uh, monitor would likely have more eggs, but this does not seem to be the case. Um, it could be, you know, they're kind of at the top level of, of you know, predator level, and so, uh, you know, they might have fewer eggs because they reach that top uh, area or top step on the on the food pyramid, <laughs> the food web, um, and so. They uh, uh, may, you know, you don't want a ton of uh, top-level predators, maybe. I don't know. You know, they didn't really go into too much detail there, except to, to point out that the, uh, the larger species had smaller clutches. And, uh, you know, in captivity, we've seen that there can be uh, several clutches per year, so it could be that they're laying other clutches at you know, other times. But I don't know that anybody's shown that conclusively in the wild, at least in the larger species. Um, it was uh, fairly sl slim pickings on data for the larger species in the studies, but anyway. Um, 
So uh, they they do some different uh, uh, statistical analyses and show you know slope of the line for uh, clutch size versus snout to vent length, and of course the slopes for the small species is a, a lot. Uh, uh, I guess more uh, steep <laughs> uh, compared to the larger species. Uh, that's uh, figure one in the in the publication if you're checking it out. So interesting uh, results there. Um, we'll move on to uh, food and what's going on with the diet of various monitor lizards. Um, so they they you know list a table of all the different uh, food items taken. Um, and, and as you would expect, uh, they were the diets were fairly heavy in orthopterans, which are the grasshoppers and their relatives, as well as uh, uh, spiders, made up a good chunk, and uh, lizards, um, which makes sense. You know, in the Australian uh, deserts and tropical areas, lizards are far more abundant than maybe some of the mammalian species out there. It's uh, you know the lizards have adapted very well to Australia. There's a large diversity of various sizes of lizards, and so um, any anyone who's kept monitors and all, they'll chase down and eat just about anything they can fit in their mouth. And so uh, lizards, you know, factor in a heavy percentage of the diet, I think, in a lot of these species. They even go so far as to suggest that uh, two of the species in the study, uh, the parenti, uh, Varanus giganteus, and uh, the uh, black palm monitor Varanus glebopalma are uh, uh, lizard specialists, so they had a very high percentage of of lizards in their diet. Um, but also other species like uh, uh, Pilbarensis, uh, the uh, Pilbara rock monitors, had a fairly high uh, percentage of lizards as well. And I think this is. Uh, more evident in in table four where they look at the importance index and uh, if I'm reading this correctly I, I kind of interpret this to you know they show uh, I guess the importance index which is the mass ratio divided by all the mass ratios for a certain species so uh, lizards uh, for for pillbar rock monitors are 0.882 and for Varanus primordius are 0.965 so lizards are very important in the diets of those animals you'd almost uh, you know, compared to the to the other two that are considered lizard specialists, their importance index is 0.618, so and 0.660 for Giganteus and Glebopalma, respectively. So, you know, these these uh, Pilbar rock monitors and the Varanus primordius are actually um, a, a greater percent or greater importance index for the lizards as compared with other food items. Um, the orthopterans come in probably uh, second or you know third, depending on the species. What was interesting is a couple uh, species actually uh, had a had pretty good percentage of ants in their diet. And I wouldn't expect a uh, uh, you know monitor species to feed much on ants, but so that was a little bit of an interesting observation. They were found in the diet of uh, Varanus gilani, um, Stori, and Primordius. Um, you also had a couple other uh, specialists, which makes a lot of sense because they're more water-loving species. Uh, Simiremex, which is the rusty monitor, and they fed on quite a few crustaceans and frogs. So those were found in, in the diet of those two species. Now, I'm not sure why they list certain species under the importance index and certain species under the uh, percentage of prey tables. 
So not the same species, the, the same species are not covered in those two tables. The uh, importance index table covers a, a wider variety of species and kind of gives a side-by-side -side comparison to show differences or similarities in diet. Um, so, you know, for, for what it's worth, uh, both of those provide kind of a glimpse of, of what's going on. They include one more table in, the, in, this, in this paper, and it's a review on reproductive information on Australian varanus. So uh, most of the species that occur in Australia that have published literature on their reproduction are uh, included in that table, up to uh, 92, of course. So a uh, very, very interesting study overall. Um, you know, some these these uh, studies where scientists gather a large data set from preserved museum specimens, you know, give nice information and, and a nice glimpse into the lives of these animals. So they're they're very useful, especially you know in regards to uh, learning about their natural history and uh, seeing you know kind of what they do in the wild because these animals are fairly secretive. Um, I did get a chance to watch a, a monitor feeding in the wild. This was, we ran across uh, uh, one of the new uh, newly described species, Varanus hammersleyensis, which is um, the southern pilbar rock monitor. So that was a recent split from Varanus pilbarensis, the uh, northern or dominant rock monitor, pilbar rock monitor. And so um, we watched this uh, Varanus hammersleyensis running around on the on the rocky cliffs in a gorge in Karajini. Uh, you know, fantastic to sit and watch such a an agile lizard just make its way across rocks like they were, you know, football field, you know, just running along, no big deal. Um, but, you know, we watched it catch a, a spider um, and uh, snap it down pretty quickly. I actually captured some video and have it on my YouTube page, uh, uh, username JG Julander on YouTube. Um, you can check out the videos, but have some footage of that uh, monitor eating and uh, there's, you know, we, we watched them for, for a bit and, you know, watched, um, they just seem very alert and aware and they, you know, probe different cracks and looking kind of constantly for food. They'd stop to, uh, this individual would stop to bask, uh, bask every once in a while, uh, but it was kind of constantly on the move and, and looking for food, uh, which I think is how they got their, their name monitor lizards because they're always monitoring their environment and they're very wary and alert lizards. So um, interesting species to, 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 to study. So enjoyed the article. Hope you did too. Uh, we'll catch you next time on herpetological discussions.